Hi everyone, and welcome to the Care and Discipleship Podcast. This week, we're talking with Deepak Reju, who serves as the pastor of Biblical Counseling and Families at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and is the author of several great books, including On Guard, Preventing and Responding to Child Abuse at Church, and The Pastor and Counseling, The Basics of Shepherding Members in Need. We are also excited to have him as one of our plenary speakers at this year's Training Institute in June. Deepak, you've been the pastor of Biblical Counseling at Capitol Hill Baptist for some time now. I'm sure you've met and counseled many people burdened with a variety of labels. Can you tell us how these labels might interfere with someone's walk with the Lord? Yeah, that's a great question. I've encountered a lot of times uh, when I've helped people the the competition between their prime identity being in Christ and over-identifying with a label in their life. So a number of years ago, I was helping a young man, and as I was trying to help him understand his responsibility before Christ and obeying the Word, he would often come back to me and say, I can't, I'm OCD. And I'd actually press on something else into his life and say, I can't, I'm OCD. And this would go on and on. He, he would over-identify with his label and not accept personal responsibility for what he was supposed to do in his relationship with the Lord. And it was that conversation years ago that struck me in thinking, oh, someone can own a, li- a label so strongly, it removes their image-bearing responsibility before God to be obedient to the word that's given them. And there's a way in which, though, labels can be then dangerous in a person's life because they identify that identify with that label more than they identify with Christ. It becomes primary in their life, and that in that case, it becomes dangerous for them spiritually because if they define themselves more by that label than by Christ, they put themselves in spiritual danger. So uh, a basic thing that labels do is uh, help us to understand who we are before the Lord and what our resp- role and responsibility is according to how God has designed us and made us and what he wants from us. Rather than accepting the labels from the world, uh, which we can identify too strongly with, and, and that distracts us what, from what God intends for us in Christ. Talking about the OCD person and how he says he can't do it, he can't do this because he has OCD, and identifying and strongly identifying with the label. How would you counsel somebody like that? And especially in that context, where does the Holy Spirit fit into his thinking uh, when he talks like that? Yeah, that's a great question. I would tell them that, first of all, their uh, label or their identity is grounded in something that should be secondary and that they've made it primary. I tell them also that actually what Scripture asks them, commands them to do, is to walk in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5, mm-hmm. to follow what the Spirit would have them do. So they're, they're a Christian, so the Spirit dwelling within them, and actually the Spirit that convicts, that motivates that uh, sorts through, that comforts, that that helps them actually in their Christian walk, and in a, in, in a way in which that um, he, you're you're posing on the one side, they're actually making OCD primary. I'm asking them to actually make the spirit primary in their life, mm-hmm. and let the spirit actually be central to what they're doing, and let what God what what Jesus intends in in the Gospel of John in saying I'm leaving. I'm leaving a helper, an advocate for you. 
Like Jesus left the spirit for us so that we wouldn't have to do this on our own. And so that we would have the Spirit's help as we wait for Jesus to come back. So their functional theology is basically saying OCD has more power than the Holy Spirit. Um, And I would imagine if you asked them, they would probably say, no, the Holy Spirit has more power. Uh, Their confessional theology. And when you put those two together, they're not really living according to what they actually believe. Yeah. Well, that's a, if I were to say, that's a tragedy that most Christians live in. Exactly. (laughs) Their functional, their functional identity doesn't match up with their confessional identity. Mm -hmm. Their confessional identity is they know that the Spirit is in them and that it has power to change them. Their functional identity is I'm listening more to the world and the world's labels or I'm listening to my own sinful flesh's labels. I'm listening to the lies that Satan tells me mm-hmm. more than I'm listening to what God's word actually says and not trusting that the word has the power to do what it intends to do. How do labels help us navigate our lives? So a basic function of what it means to be a human being is that we're in all interpreters and meaning makers. We have to make meaning of our lives by simply looking around and understanding the world we're in. But we also do that for ourselves. We try and make a sense of who we are, what we're doing, why we're doing what we're doing, the great kind of purpose questions of life. Uh, what's my purpose and why am I here? And so in doing that, you know, any kind of label helps us to define things like, do I have significance and value or insignificance? Do I belong or do I not belong? Am I loved or am I not loved? And it brings with it all kinds of background, all kinds of people, all kinds of things that help us to begin to understand with a particular label. So I can name a label like Caucasian or black. And there's a huge history behind terms. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can say things like uh, Nazi or Jew. And there's a huge history behind those terms that begin to define significance and insignificance, value or lack of value, joy or tragedy. All those labels help us to make sense of the life we're in. And in some ways, it also not only gives us significance and insignificance, not only brings history forward and helps us to understand our place in history, it just helps us understand where we fit. In a world that's confusing and has all kinds of things surrounding us, Understanding what our place is in the world often comes from identifying with certain labels. The first thing a child does growing up is identify with the label of their family. You know, I I am, last name, Reggie. I have always been a Reggie. I will always be a Reggie unless I legally change my name. And even legally changing my name is trying to avoid the history that God has given me. Uh, that's, a, that's a fundamental identity marker for me. And it fits in, in the way that God has created an ordered universe. And he helps us in making meaning by using labels to not only organize and make meaning of our life, but to grow in, grow in our understanding of meaning and significance and where we fit in. So tell me, how then do some of these labels either positively or negatively influence the church? Yeah, they, um, they influence us in a number of different ways. So in, on one hand, labels uh, help us to identify those who are like us, 
those who we can be united with in a church. So wives hang out with wives, husbands hang out with husbands, singles hang out with singles. There are lots of ways in which you see within a church people who are alike like one another and therefore the labels identify that they're like one another actually will in a homogeneous way then make connections with each other. But then they also divide us. I mean, our culture has all kinds of labels that just simply indicating the label uh, I, I grew up Indian, Asian American in this culture, and a derogatory label that would be used for Indians would be dot, mm-hmm. reference to Hindus with a dot on their head. Well, first of all, I'm not Hindu. I, I'm a born-again evangelical Christian. So to, for someone to call me a dot was already a, a, an inaccurate description of who I was. It had nothing to do with my identity. But it was also a way to divide just using the label to simply using a category description for me that was meant to belittle me. And American history, I mean, history of the world is full of labels that are used to divide between one person on one side and another person on the other side. Um, But, you know, when we think gospel-centered, when we think about what a church is supposed to look like, especially when we think about what heaven's supposed to look like, there's a diversity in heaven, regardless of what our labels are. And so within the church, we're supposed to be united in the midst of our diversity. And so that's where the labels actually can add a richness because it doesn't matter whether I am black or white or Caucasian. Uh, It doesn't matter whether I am introverted or extroverted. It doesn't matter whether I'm single or married. It doesn't matter whether I'm a man or a woman or a husband or a wife. We're all supposed to be united in Christ and the labels are not supposed to get in the way Actually, the labels help us see the richness, what the gospel brings together in one local church. I think that's very helpful for us. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing you talk about it more. You're also going to be speaking, though, on some of the more positive labels, if you will, that the church identifies with, the church embraces, and one of them being, I am chosen. So without giving away too much about your talk, what are a couple of the ways in which this particular identity is important? Yeah, to be picked by anyone or anything is just a cherished thing because it means someone has called you out from wherever you are and in in a way has made them your own. And And you can think of that in terms of election, the doctrine of election, how God chose us and God chose us before even the foundation of the world to be his own to be one of his own, to be a part of his family. But, you know, we, we think of it and we identify it more more quickly by even our experiences growing up. I remember being on kickball teams mm-hmm. and standing in the yard as kids are actually choosing who's going to be on their team and always not wanting to be the last person chosen. I was always last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I didn't want to be that kid. That choosing was an identity label because... All the kids knew the last kid chosen was the worst kid to play on the team. The kid who had the least amount of skills, Mm -hmm. the kid who nobody else wanted. But to be chosen first meant you were the ones that everybody wanted on your team. Well, chosen, it can be translated to, well, a, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You know, how many people long to be married and to have someone choose you to be their life partner. Uh, that, that brings worth and significance because someone has chosen to lay their affections on you, not just for a few minutes, but for the rest of their life. And, you know, 
the, the, the fact that, uh, that God chose us before the foundation of the world to be his own children, to be a part of his family through Christ, that he had a plan of redemption to reconcile us to himself, mm-hmm. and that, that we're included in that as a part of God's great plan, that, that's a picture of God casting his affections specifically on us. Mm-hmm. So I'm not one little amorphous creature in the midst of this huge sea. In fact, the great God of the universe has looked down and picked specifically me. And if you think of counseling, uh, how many people in the midst of tragedy, so abuse and all kinds of suffering, grow up to be people who feel like nobody actually specifically loves them. I hear often in the counseling room terms like, I'm worthless, or I'm trash, or no one loves me. And yet for someone to choose them, to to cast their love and affection on them, they begin to define their identity and their worth around that. So how important is it that the God of the universe sends his son to die specifically for you? So you're also going to be speaking with our good friend, Jeremy Pierre, your good friend as well, um, on our identity as sanctified. And you and Jeremy have partnered before on a project in your book, The Pastor and Counseling. That looks at the idea of cultivating a culture of discipleship within the church. And I'm wondering if you can answer this. Does an accurate identity have any effect on that type of culture of discipleship? Yeah, it's a good question. So certainly it does. So we'll portray it both in the negative and the positive. The negative, if you have lots of people walking around with inaccurate identities, they're not living in the way God intends for them to live. If we go back to what we said earlier, they're living with, say, for example, the world's identity labels for them as their primary identity and not living as God intends for them. Well, that's a bit of a crazy church culture because you're over-identifying with things that God doesn't intend and you're all trying to figure out how to do church together. That sounds like a bit of a mess to me Mm. compared to people who understand through God's word what God intends for them and what God is asking of them and what God means for them, and they actually live that to what, what he says. So the, the most basic thing we ever do is we obey God's word. And in obeying God's word, we take ownership of all the things he says about us. We, we live it out in the way that he asks us to live. We, we do that together. It actually creates a harmony in a congregation that's not there if we're all acting as individuals with our own labels that doesn't actually describe what God wants for us. So think about in a family, if there were five different kids and each kid had their own last name and even their own background and identity, all bring it together and you try and merge it together. This is the awkwardness of, you know, kinds of families in a culture where there's lots of divorces and reformulating of families and what step families have to sort through in merging a family together with one identity. Versus if we all have the same identity under Christ, we're all living in the same direction. We're all working towards the same thing. And there's one larger grand narrative that defines our identity. Then we're going to work in harmony together as a church. And that step family uh, analogy is is a good one. Um, 
the blended family. The blended, yeah. fa- the blended family. I was thinking of idea. foster children and a family, and and how confusing I think that lifestyle can be. And if you don't try to act as it one family with one purpose, with one set of expectations, with one driving goal, um, the family splits apart, basically. And and um, I think churches can be like that sometimes, where we don't think of ourselves as a single family we think of ourselves either as independent or with this group over there or with this group over here or and we don't act uh, in accordance with kind of a common goal and a common love for each other so maybe if i can i'd like to circle back to uh original question that we were talking about and can you give me more of a a theological understanding of identity maybe um, help us understand how to think biblically about identity Yeah, so one of my favorite theological themes would be creation, fall, and redemption. And if you think about identity in those three terms, creation, I am an image bearer. I'm made to reflect God's likeness, and not physically, but in his characteristics. And so just as God is loving and patient and merciful and kind, so also as an image bearer, if I grow in Christ, I reflect those in the way I live. And that image-bearing quality is the ground from which all of our identities are formed. Because uh, non-Christians are image-bearers. They don't realize it. It's the doctrine of creation. But we are image-bearers in the fuller sense because we're reflecting Christ. That, that, that's the ground, the base, the foundation of our identity. But then you build into the fall. The fall corrupts what God intended in us being image-bearers and reflecting his likeness. The fall distorts our identities in living in obedience and in fullness and looking like Christ. It distracts us. It turns us in another direction. It corrupts what's intended. But then you add in redemption. Our our fullest identity is then in Christ. What, What God intends from the beginning is that we're to be a picture of his son. And that image bearing quality grows up into its complete fullness as we are in Christ. So I I said this to a group of friends last week. Uh, I think one of the main purposes of a family is for children to grow up and flourish into the fullness of their image-bearing qualities in a safe, secure place that God provides through a stable home Mm -hmm. with a mother and a father. That's the start of their created uh, image-bearing qualities coming to their fullness. But, you know, the, the, their, their sin, their original sin, ruins this whole thing and slows down what God intends. But if they come to know Christ, they come to know much more than just the talent and gifts that they have as created image bearers. They come to know the fullness of what humanity is because the fullest picture of humanity is a perfect Savior. And any way that we grow in reflecting Him will be the fullest sense of us having a God-intended identity. Thanks for listening to the Care and Discipleship Podcast. For more IBCD resources, you can check out ibcd.org. And be sure to join us for the Training Institute this June. You can register now at ibcd.org identity.